One of the things I've learned in life is that we all have things that we're afraid of. Unique to us are these unique fears. For some of us, it's being alone at night. Other of us, it's the dark. Others of us, it's heights. For some of us, it's animals. There are certain mammals, certain insects that just, oh, they just give us the willies. Maybe you're the kind of person that if you just have a bug crawling anywhere near you, you just can't handle it. Or maybe a spider crawls up on you and you need to take three showers you know, but we all have these things that we're afraid of. And uh, I definitely can tell you that like if out of nowhere, like a, a bird or like an insect like flies up right on top of me, like I definitely have been known to jump. And so it was really funny this week. I came home from work. My wife, uh, Danny's working at home right now. Came home and she's like, hey, I have something for you to do when you get home. So I came home and she said, it's right over there. And, and, and it, she pointed to the drapes that cover one of the windows in our dining room. And I said, what's the deal? What's with the drapes? She's like, well, no, it's not what's the drapes. It's what's in the drapes. I said, well, what's in the drapes? She said, in the drapes is a moth. And this moth is like the size of a bird. It's like the size of a small bird. And I couldn't, I couldn't kill it earlier today. I couldn't get out of the house. So I just kind of trapped it in the drapes. And you need to figure out how to get it out of the house. And so uh, it was pretty funny that over the next, I don't know, five, ten minutes— I tried coaxing this moth from the dining room to the kitchen, to the living room, to the entryway, and finally I got it out the door. I, I swung it a couple times with a, a fly swatter, not trying to kill it, but just trying to move it. I about pulled my, my uh, arm out of my socket trying so hard to do that. Luckily, it was at night that we were able to kind of move it from light source to light source, kind of working through our house, and we almost threw a big party when we finally got that moth out of the house. Well, I was, I was writing my message right around that time in the week, and I started thinking about that moth and, and our battle to get that moth out of our house. And I, I, I had a connection that I made in my mind, and that connection is this, that our thoughts can feel like that moth that got caught in our house. For, for you and for me, we, we often have thoughts that, that get trapped in our minds, thoughts that we just can't get away from, thoughts that just dominate our thought patterns and our focus. And they can feel a little bit like there's a moth or a fly that's trapped in your house that you just can't seem to catch and you just can't seem to get out of your house. You have no idea how that thing got in your house and you're not totally sure how you're going to get that thing out of your house. Well, our goal uh, this fall as we're in this series called Mastermind is to help you and come alongside you with resources and biblical teaching to help you defeat that thought that is trapped in your mind. The subtitle of this series is Renewing Our Minds and Transforming Our Lives. And our prayer is, is that we would experience the truth of Romans 12 too, where the Apostle Paul says, don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind so that you will be able to know what God's will is, so that you'll have clarity of mind to be able to know and do God's will. We started this series last week. If you missed it, you can go online or website prescottcornerstone.com slash sermons and watch week one. But in, in week one, we said the greatest battle we're facing is the one between our ears. The, the one between our ears. That's the greatest battle we're facing. It's the battle in our minds. 
We also said that the greatest battle we're facing is one, W-O-N, between our ears. That if if we're going to win this battle, it's not going to happen anywhere else but where the battle is currently being waged. And we want to build on that idea this week. Last week was kind of like the awakening of, hey, you're in a battle. And today, we're going to build on that idea with this concept. That in order to renew our minds, we have to pick the right battles. We have to pick the right battles. I know as a parent, one of the conversations my wife and I will have is, hey, do we really want to fight this battle? You know, as a leader, I'll say, hey, do I really want to fight this battle? You know, if I'm trying to figure out something financially and kind of negotiating something, do I go, do I really want to fight that battle? Is that something I want to worth showing up for? And I think there are times in life where we find ourselves fighting the wrong battles, where we find ourselves giving blood and sweat and tears and time and effort and energy and losing sleep over something that really isn't the important battle. And so I don't want you to waste your life when it comes to this battle in your mind and this work of renewing your minds, fighting the wrong battles. And so today I want to talk to you about three battles that I think are worth fighting. Three battles that from Scripture were taught. These are the things worth showing up for. These are the things worth giving your life to. These are the places that are worth leaning into, that you might experience God's power, God's provision, and God's deliverance in your life. Now, the first one of these, actually the first two of these, are unpacked in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, uh, we, we call this second, even though there's just a two there. Second Corinthians, which kind of gives you the idea that there's a first Corinthians. So that's the section of the Bible you're looking for is the Corinthians section. It's near the back of your Bible. And in Second Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is writing and speaking to a people that he knows really well. And he's trying to make sure that they know not only the right battle to fight, but how to win that battle. And here's what he says in 2 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 3. He says, For although we live in the flesh, that's in our bodies, we do not wage war according to the flesh. Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God, for the demolition of strongholds. He said, we demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would be powerfully present in us and with us in every place that we are scattered today. We pray that in this battle that we are waging in our minds, that we would experience your power, your provision, your protection, and your deliverance today. We pray that you'd illuminate your word and show us what it is you want us to see. And we pray that you would show us what you want us to do in light of how you speak to us today. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. 
I said there was three battles that we were going to talk about today. Three battles that are worth showing up for and fighting. And the first one is described here in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. Here's this first battle. The battle is to destroy strongholds. Don't just battle sin. What Paul is saying to us here is when it comes to the battles we're fighting, we need to destroy strongholds. Don't just battle sin. Now, now I'm not saying that sin is an unimportant thing to talk about. The, The famous Puritan writer John Owen said, constantly be killing sin or else sin will be killing you. So battling sin is a a worthwhile battle. But sometimes what we find is we find ourselves caught up in battling a sin when the truth is we should be battling the stronghold underneath the sin. I love how Dr. Tony Evans defines strongholds. Here's what he says. He says, strongholds are destructive patterns of thought that lead people astray and hold them hostage to sinful, harmful, and addictive behavior. And so the sin is up here. It's that sinful, harmful, addictive behavior that is easy for us to see and is easy for other people to see. And you might think, well, that's really where the battle is. You got to defeat that sin. Maybe, unless that sin is attached to a destructive pattern of thought— that is holding someone hostage to that, that until you destroy and deal with the stronghold underneath the sin, the sin can never truly be dealt with. And what Paul is saying here is that we take these weapons of our warfare, not of the flesh, but of the spirit, to destroy and defeat strongholds, not just to battle sin. Now, throughout his his writings, Paul contrasts the weapons of the flesh and the weapons of the spirit. He contrasts living according to the flesh with living according to the spirit, saying that, hey, our battle is not against the flesh, but it's against the spirit. In Ephesians 6, he says that, that this battle that we're facing is not against the flesh, but against powers and principalities and the powers of spiritual darkness. And here's a a good explanation of the contrast that we're talking about. In in his writings, Paul says the weapons of the flesh are things like education, influence, accomplishment, powerful speech, external morality. And those are really helpful if, if you're dealing with something that's on the surface. But if what you're dealing with is underneath the surface and it's a stronghold, It's a destructive pattern of thought that is holding someone spiritually hostage. Then then just learning things and having influence and getting trophies and accomplishments and being able to deliver powerful speech and having kind of the ability to manage your behavior externally and your morality, that will not be enough to destroy the stronghold. The only thing that can destroy the stronghold are the tools that we use in spiritual warfare, and that's prayer and the Word of God. Some of you go, Scott, of course it's prayer and the Word of God. Those are the go-to answers for everything. And, And I can relate to that because there was a stronghold in my life at one point that was cynicism. But let me just tell you that when you're dealing with a stronghold that is a place where you're being defeated by the spiritual powers of darkness, 
Just reading books, learning things, trying to white knuckle it and grit your teeth through it is not going to break through. You need tools that give you access to the power of God, the same power that raised Christ from the dead. And that's the two punch of prayer and the word of God. That's how we destroy the stronghold. That's how we uh, deal with that thing that's holding us captive. And many of us end up settling for dealing with the external thing, the fruit. The thing that's easy to see, the thing that's easy to attack, the thing that everyone points to or looks to. And I think what Paul is saying in this text, talking about the battle of our minds, he's saying that our thoughts are the fruit of mental strongholds. Especially our negative thoughts, our toxic thoughts, our sinful thoughts. They're the fruits of mental strongholds. And we can continue to try to manage the fruit, manage the thoughts. But until we get down to the stronghold, the roots that are leading to the fruits, we're not going to see real change. Let me make this real personal. Again and again in my own life, I have seen fruit that led me to discover a deeper stronghold. I made a list this week of the places in my life where I've had strongholds. There was a period where I thought I just was having unhealthy relationships. Like that was the fruit issue. Until one of my friends sat me down and said, Scott, you are bitter. You've not dealt with this wound from your past You haven't forgiven. And so now everywhere you look, you show up in relationships with bitterness. And until you deal with that, this stuff out here is never going to change. In fact, it's only going to get worse. Behind my unhealthy relationships was a stronghold of bitterness and unforgiveness. There was a period where, where I was not teachable. If you were somebody who was significantly older than me, I tend to be closed off to what you could teach me or tell me. But behind that was, was a, a stronghold of arrogance that said that I knew more and I wasn't respected and I wasn't taken seriously. And so until that arrogant stronghold and toxic way of thought was dealt with, I was being held hostage to an unteachable spirit. I mentioned earlier that I dealt with cynicism, which I should know how to spell considering how long I dealt with it. And, and, and in, in that cynical season, what I discovered was that it wasn't just that I was cynical and sarcastic and had a sharp biting wit on other people. There was a deep wounded vulnerable place where I was scared to forgive and scared to trust again. And until I dealt with that, nothing else changed. I could go on to talk to you about insecurity, disrespect, and so many other things. But here's, here's what I really want you to hear today. That my strongholds were often lies that I had believed about myself or about God. They were lies that had taken root in me, and then the fruit was coming out in sinful and destructive ways. I, I had bought into Satan's lies about who God was or about who I was. And when I embraced those lies, everything that came out of that lie, every fruit that came out of that lie was toxic and unhealthy. 
And until I dealt with the stronghold, the lie at the bottom of it, nothing changed. So I just want to encourage you today that if you feel like you're losing the battle when it comes to your thought life and your minds, don't just deal with those thoughts. Begin to dig down underneath those thoughts and look for the strongholds, the patterns, the lies that you've believed about yourself and God and deal with those and then watch those transform your thoughts. There's one thing we kind of didn't spend a whole lot of time with in that passage from 2 Corinthians 10 that I want to come back to here. 2 Corinthians 10, 5. Paul says, we take those things and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. The second battle that's worth fighting is taking thoughts captive before they take root. Taking thoughts captive before they take root. So, so we t- we're talking about strongholds and sins that come out of them. Well, this is saying, hey, instead of just dealing with what's already there, preemptively anticipate that you're going to have thoughts come into your mind. And before those thoughts can take root in your mind, take them captive. Take them captive. You know, there is a moment in your mind, according to Paul here, between when you have a thought and when your thought has you. There's a moment between when that thought enters your mind and when it makes a home in your mind. And in that space is the opportunity that you and I have to take those thoughts captive. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl worked with uh, men and women in concentration camps in Nazi Germany to try to help them find meaning in the midst of the most violent, heinous, subhuman experience that our world has ever known called the Holocaust. He went on after the Holocaust to work with men and women who were considering suicide. And what he discovered, he wrote in an incredible book called Man's Search for Meaning. And in that book, he says this. He says, between stimulus and response, there is a space— And in that space is our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our freedom. In essence, Frankel is saying the exact same thing that Paul said, is that there is a gap between the thought coming in your mind and the thought making a home in your mind, between the stimulus and the response. And in that space, we have the power to choose how are we going to respond And according to Frankel, it's in that space that we have the opportunity to grow and the opportunity to be free. When I think about this idea, I I thought about a very physical reality, and that's the the experience, if you've ever been to London, of of riding uh, what's called, uh, it isn't called the train, it's called the tube. If you've ever been in the tube in London, which is their subway system, Over the loudspeakers, you've heard a phrase again and again, and that phrase is, mind the gap. I don't have a good British accent or else I would attempt to to hack it for you. But, But when you're riding the tube in Britain, you hear this phrase, mind the gap, mind the gap, mind the gap. You say, Scott, what is the gap? Well, the gap is that little space between the train and the platform. And that voice is reminding you to make sure that you don't trip in there, to make sure that you don't fall, 
in there to make sure that whatever you're carrying doesn't get stuck in there. And there are countless stories of men, women, and children who have not minded the gap and have lost valuable things, sadly have lost valuable limbs, some who've even lost their lives. And friends, there are gaps in our lives that we have to mind. Here's one, the gap between your thought and your thought pattern. There's a difference between a thought coming in your mind and that thought taking root in your mind and becoming a pattern in your mind. And what Paul is saying is take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ because just because a thought comes in your mind doesn't mean that it's worthy or deserving of becoming a pattern that runs in your mind all the time. And so he's saying, mind the gap. There's a gap there where you can take that thought captive and just because it's waiting on the platform doesn't mean it gets on the train. Mind the gap. There's another gap I want you to consider today. And it has to do with the shirt that I'm wearing right now. There's a gap between hearing God's word on Sunday and applying God's word on Monday. I'm convinced that, that our enemy, Satan, he isn't that opposed to you turning on and watching church from home or watching it on your phone wherever you are. You want to know what he's most opposed to? He is most opposed to the word of God you hear today going into your life tomorrow, you applying it and it becoming part of how you live every day. If, if the word of God hangs out on Sunday morning like a once a week TV show that you watch, Satan isn't that worried about it. He's cool. He's glad that you're here every Sunday. But once the word of God that's spoken takes root in your heart, it begins to show up on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, and it begins to affect and transform the way that you're seeing things, the way that you're seeing people, the way that you're treating people, the way that you live. You're no longer being conformed to the pattern of this world. You're being transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's where you're going to begin to experience opposition from our enemy, Satan. So friends, mind the gap. The gap between Sunday and Monday. Between what you hear today and what you apply tomorrow. And make sure that you are able to cross that gap and cross that chasm. This week, somebody asked me, Scott, that phrase, take every thought captive, it sounds a little nebulous. How do you do that practically? Let me give you a couple examples. One of the biggest challenges for me in 2020 has been speaking to an empty room. Has been talking to a camera, not totally sure how I'm doing, if this is clear, if it's connecting. Even right now, you could put a, a, a thumbs up or a double hands emoji in the chat, and that would be awesome for our team to see who's hosting that, but I won't be able to see that for the next few minutes. I'm having to go by faith and by trust. And let me tell you that speaking to an empty room has been something that's brought up all the insecurities in me. It, it's, it's reminded me, you know, of questions like, well, am I doing Okay. Or uh, am, I, am I okay to keep doing this? Or, or do I have what it takes? Or um, man, am I even doing a good job as a pastor when I can't even see my people? It's raised all of these questions in me. And, and as those unhealthy, insecure thoughts have come to my mind, 
What I've done on a repeated basis is I've pulled out my phone and I have this, this uh, note in my phone. I created it in 2018. It's 18 different items that are truths taken from God's word about who I am. And I have burned those things into my mind. Things like, number one, I am the beloved. This is my truest self. Jesus loves me for who I am, not what I do. Or number three, I have nothing to improve and no one to impress because I've already been accepted by the one who I can't impress, Jesus. And as I've burned those truths into my mind, when one of those other thoughts comes in, I can take it captive and go, you know what thought? You can come into my mind, but we're going to obey Christ and we're going to root my identity in who God says I am. So I'm grateful that you're asking that question, but guess what? He's already answered it. And that's one way that I take these thoughts captive. Another, another place where I, I've wrestled with this is in my marriage. My wife and I have been married for 12 years. And when we first got married, one of the hardest things for me to do was to accept that when she said she forgave me, she meant it. I'd been in a relationship, a dating relationship before her with somebody who constantly said she forgave me, but was constantly reminding me when I failed of all the other times I had failed. And so when my wife said she forgave me, in my mind, the thoughts that would come in was, hey, she's just like her. You can't trust what she means. And over time, I was able to watch and see that my wife actually did mean what she said. And when she forgave me, she no longer held it over my head. And so when the thought came in, hey, she said she forgave you, but she really didn't forgive you. I had to go back and say, who am I in a relationship with now? And, and what have I seen about her in the past? And, and who have I known her to be? And that thought, I took it captive to the truth that I knew logically for sure, even when emotionally I felt insecure. And that's the battle of taking your thoughts captive. And we've created some incredible resources for you this week. If you go to prescottcornerstone.com slash mastermind, we've created a resource where you can see the qualities of God. So in a PDF, so that you can make sure that you know that well when the thoughts come in that contradict with lies about God. We've, we've created a resource which lists out 18 characteristics of who you are in Christ. So when a thought comes in, it's a lie about who you are. You can know the truth and go, no, I'm going to take that thought captive because I know the truth of who I am in Christ. We've also created a video on there, which walks you through a process of taking these thoughts and feelings and emotions that have defeated you and beginning to flesh them out in community and in prayer to identify the, the toxic thoughts and patterns and strongholds that have dominated you. And so one of the things you can do after this service today, I'd encourage you to go on our site, go on the Mastermind page and see the resources we've put there to help you begin to work this week to renew your mind and transform your life. But before we do that, I've got one more battle I want to talk to you about. And it's described in 1 Corinthians 2, where the Apostle Paul says, For who has known the Lord's mind? that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. Later on in Philippians 2, the apostle Paul says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. The third battle that's worth fighting is activating the mind of Christ so that you can freely love, think, and serve 
like him. We not only need to destroy strongholds and take every thought captive, we need to activate the mind of Christ. Because according to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ. Now you say, Scott, what does that mean? Because I don't feel like I think like Christ, see the world always like Christ. You know, how, do, how is it possible that I have the mind of Christ? Well, in, in talking about this in his commentary, Tony Evans says this, that having the mind of Christ means we have the capacity to think Christ's thoughts after him. That we have the capacity or capability now that we have been saved and born again in Jesus Christ, we now have the capacity to begin thinking thoughts after him. Now, the truth is, for most of us, this is our experience. We have our thoughts, and way over here, we have Christ's thoughts. We go, man, this is how I think about things, and this is how God thinks about things. But according to 1 Corinthians 2, we have the mind of Christ. So through the power of the Holy Spirit alive within us, because God's grace has made us a new creation, and we're no longer who we were before we met Jesus Christ— our thoughts can now begin to align with Christ's thoughts and we now have the capacity to begin to think thoughts like his because of his work in us. But the truth is most of us live here. We don't get to here, even though we have the potential. I can remember when I was taking physics in high school, one of the things I learned about was the difference between potential energy and kinetic energy. You see, potential energy is the energy you have when you pull back an arrow on a bow and get ready to release it. That arrow has an overwhelming amount of potential energy. It's energy waiting to be released once movement happens. But potential energy is present in an unmoving object. But as soon as that arrow is released, that energy shifts from potential energy to kinetic energy. And it begins to be the energy of of an item or an object in motion. And this is the difference. We have potential energy. We have the mind of Christ. We have the capacity to think his thoughts. However, most of us stay here and never get to here where we begin to align our thoughts with his and we begin to think thoughts after him and we begin to see things the way that he would. Friends, having the mind of Christ begins with understanding who we are in Christ. And if we're going to see the world The way that Christ does, it begins with seeing ourselves the way that he does. And one of the things that I found this week in a passage that I've read a hundred times is the power of understanding who you are to free you to love and think and serve like Jesus. In Philippians 2, which we read a little while ago, which says adopt the same attitude as Christ Jesus. In Philippians 2, 5 through 11 is this well-known passage. In fact, it it may have been one of the first hymns of the church. You think of our hymns like uh, great is thy faithfulness or amazing grace or come thou fount. Well, Philippians 2, 5 through 11 may have been that for the early church. And here's what it says. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. 
uh, your tradition may say something to be grasped or held onto. Instead, Jesus emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. And when he'd come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. The reason that Jesus was able to think about the opportunity to go to the cross, the reason that he was able to love us to the point that he got up on the cross to die for our sins, the reason that he was able to come as the suffering servant is because he knew who he was and he didn't have to hold on to it, to grasp it. He knew who his father said he was and he knew that was secure. Christ knew his identity and it freed him to humbly serve. And what I realized is so often we struggle to love people in this moment and serve people in this moment because we haven't yet discovered through our minds who God says we are and we're still trying through our love and our service to gain something that only God can give us. And friends, when we know who we are, we are free to serve too. And if there is no other battle that we have to fight in 2020, it is the battle to receive, claim, and develop the identity God has given us. Because I believe that life in 2020 is like a well-trained dog who specializes in finding our insecurities. I feel like I have one of those highly trained canines in my life And he's not looking for drugs. He's looking for my insecurities. And he constantly finds them. Event after event, experience after experience, breaking news, change, transition are constantly revealing my insecurities. And I feel like what God is using this year to do in me is saying, Scott, everything in your life that is propped up on something other than me, I'm going to send this dog in to find so that we can deal with, so that your life is fully and completely planted in who I am and who I say you are. And friends, when we do that work, when we go through that experience, here's what happens. We begin to know, each of us, who we are. I begin to know who I am. And out of that, I begin to know my capacity, that I have the mind of Christ, that I can think like Christ about this moment, about this challenge, about this opportunity. And from that, I can begin to experience all that Christ has given me. He's given me the power to love people sacrificially and unconditionally. He's given me the power to serve people, even when they don't appreciate it. He's given me the power to think about circumstances, not the way my favorite cable news television or my friends on social media tell me I should think, but the way that he thinks. And all of this comes back to knowing who I am in him. And if you go, Scott, how do I begin to do that? Well, we've put together a number of resources to begin to equip you to do that. But fundamentally, it starts in one place. It starts with recognizing that you can't actually do that on your own. You and me, we can't love people the way they need to be loved in our own power and strength. We can't serve the people God's called us to serve in our own power and strength. 
We can't think about the myriad of crazy, unbelievable, challenging circumstances that we're facing right now the way that Jesus would without him. And if you've been listening to this message today and go, Scott, this all sounds really good, but I can't do that. Guess what? I know. Neither can I. None of us can. The only way you can do this is when you surrender your life to Jesus and you come to the end of yourself and you begin to experience the beginning of everything he has for you. If you haven't raised the white flag at some point in 2020, I'm not sure you're really being honest. Because life with God through Jesus Christ begins with a moment of surrender where you say, you know what? I know what I have to do, but I can't do it on my own. Jesus, I'm going to need you to do it for me. And that's the moment when you begin to win the greatest battle of all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for meeting us in this place. We thank you for speaking powerfully through your word. We thank you for revealing in our lives the places where we've, we've lost battles, picked the wrong battles, been held in strongholds, and been ourselves held captive by thoughts instead of taking those thoughts captive. Jesus, if we're honest, there are so many moments, even in the last seven days, where we had an opportunity to love somebody like you, but we failed to. Where we had an opportunity to serve somebody like you, but we served ourselves instead. There have been so many moments in the last seven days where our reaction didn't reflect you, but it reflected our own sinful flawed and broken thoughts. And so Jesus, we can't do any of this on our own. We can't win this battle on our own. We can't even win the war on our own, much less these battles. We need you. And I believe there are some people watching right now, Jesus, that you've put here on purpose for a purpose so they could come to the end of themselves and surrender their lives to you and experience your power and your grace for the very first time. If you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus and 2020 has you on the ropes, I just want to tell you that Jesus is closer to you than you realize. He's more available to you than you could comprehend. And right now, you can experience his power for the very first time. And you could experience that power by praying a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I see my own flaws and my sins. I'm a sinner. I don't have what it takes. I need you. So today I surrender and turn my life over to you. Would you take me as I am? Jesus, would you forgive me for all the things I've done in my past? And would you give me everything I need to be everything you made me to be? Jesus, I'm raising the white flag and I'm surrendering to you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
If you prayed that prayer, that simple prayer of surrender, we want to celebrate with you the beginning of your new relationship with God. And you can let us know that you prayed that prayer by texting us today. You can text the word surrender to 928-288-5490. Our team is standing by and they would love to celebrate with you. Okay, buddy. Good stuff, Are you going right? to do this? I think so. I think awesome, I'm ready. Man. Are you ready? I'm ready. Excellent. Okay. Well, Scott, let's lead. I mean, obviously with the fact that every week we, we come away after the sermon, though, with those next steps. So can you walk through? I know yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is an opportunity for you if you've got a question to text us, 928-288-5490. So we've got three next steps for you today. If you're following along with your notes, these are printed there. Uh, the first one is to claim and develop your God-given identity. This is a process. Getting to know, okay, who does the scripture say that I am in Christ? And then claiming that is one part of it, but then there's other part is developing that. And this is a lifelong process that we will always be doing. And so we want to encourage you. We've created a PDF for you and it's available at prescottcornerstone.com slash mastermind. There's a section on that page that says week two resources. And one of those is a PDF. It's got 18 statements. I am this, I am this. And with each of those, there's a scripture attached at the end that you will see that is the source of that truth. And so we're not just kind of making these out of thin air and kind of pumping up our ego, Dave. We're, we're rooting this in scripture. And so the first thing I encourage you to do is to spend some time claiming and developing your identity because that's, that's where everything starts. And hopefully that, that resource will be helpful to you. Number two is to dig under the sin for the stronghold. And, that, and that's this idea that the sin is up here, the stronghold is down here. And so if you can imagine there's a, a, a plant or something that's a fruit above the ground, but you're going to dig down to get that stronghold out. And one of the things I'd encourage you to do that's been helpful for me is last year in 2019, we did a series called Kill the Spider. Back in February, it was a four-week series, and it was our most watched series of the whole year when it came to people going back and watching a series. And so also on our resource page, there's a link to this series. And in this series, Carlos Whitaker, who wrote a book by the same title that inspired the series, he does a great job of, of clarifying the difference between a sin and a stronghold. For him, it's the difference between a, a cobweb and a spider. And we use some of his concepts along with some incredible teaching from Scripture to guide you through that. And so if there are some strongholds that you're sensing in your life, this series could be a great, great resource for you. And then number three, um, I want to encourage you to narrow the thought, narrow the gap in your thought life. And so the, the, the problem is a lot of us think that just because something comes into our mind, it, it's somehow a sin that we're condemned for. And, and so many bizarre things, Dave, come into our minds on any given day that we're not in control of, you know, like a thought comes in. Where did that come from? It's kind of like a, a fly that comes in your house. I don't know where that came from. So, so I don't want to sit here and say, hey, every thought you have is absolutely your fault. No, that's not true. But you do have an opportunity once that thought comes in to do something with it. And so the step here is to narrow that gap between the thought coming in and you realizing it being there and doing something about it. And again, there's a resource on our page which helps you to narrow this gap. It's called the connecting the dots in your thoughts. I made some rhyme there. Mm -hmm. Connecting the dots in your thoughts. And it's a process, a six-step process for you to begin to connect the dots between the thoughts you're having and the thought patterns you're experiencing and beginning to narrow that gap. And I'd encourage you, even as a group this week, if you're in one of our community groups, we have almost 40 groups meeting right now, you could get together, watch the video on the Mastermind page, 
about connecting the dots with your thoughts and then talk with what you learned with your group and see if, if you can help and encourage each other to win the battle there. So those are three next steps I'd encourage you to take That's this week. That's fantastic. I think, you know, it's so important, right, in terms of activating the mind of Christ in that we, we may not be able to control those thoughts that are coming in, but we can control our reaction mm-hmm. and what we do Absolutely. out of that. Absolutely. So, um, I think you hit, obviously, on the first point. Um, several viewers had some questions about where those truths could be found and yeah. so in the resources. PrescottCornerstone.com yep. slash mastermind. You'll scroll down. There's a section that says week two resources, and there's four or five there. And the one that says uh, our identity in Christ, that's the one you're looking for. It opens up a PDF. You can save that and um, it encourage you to go through that. There's 18 items on there, and it's hopefully really helpful. That's great. You know, Scott, I'm really curious. Um, obviously, you opened up kind of the strongholds that maybe you've battled in your own life. Um, and obviously, 2020 kind of being this opportunity to really reflect, take time um, to look at that. How did you identify those strongholds in being able to destroy them? Yeah, I, I think I think it's twofold, um, at least. Um, one, it's acknowledging that so many strongholds in our lives are, are rooted in lies that we've believed about ourselves and about God. And for many of us, um, experience, even experience in church, has led us to embrace false images and pictures of God. Maybe somebody who we associated as a spiritual figure um, betrayed us, uh, hurt us. There's some of you watching right now, you may have experienced emotional, verbal, physical, spiritual, sexual abuse in the context of the church. And that's led you to conclusions about yourself and God that, that don't line up with this. And because you embraced that lie, that lie became a stronghold. And so for years or even decades, maybe you've been experiencing spiritual defeat. And the pathway to that freedom that Christ talks about when he says that, you know, um, I came to give you a life and give you abundantly that Paul talks about and says, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. That freedom will only begin when you go back to the place where that stronghold began and replace that lie with truth. Now that's easy to say, and that's incredibly difficult to do, but it's one of the reasons on our resource page, we've listed a number of counselors that it might be something where you begin to recognize when the stronghold happened, when it started and it was a traumatic event. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's going to take somebody walking alongside you to go back and deal with that traumatic event that led to a lie that led to a stronghold that's leading to the pattern of thoughts and unraveling it may take time. (laughs) And I'll just tell you my life, the strongholds I've battled, they've taken time and they've been incredibly painful Mm -hmm. to unwind, but it's been worth it because in the places where I've begun to experience freedom in that place, that work was so, so worth it. And so I just want to encourage you. It is hard work. It does take your involvement to break that stronghold, but it's worth, it's worth, it's work that's worth doing. That's awesome. Well done there. Um, you know, Scott, I think sometimes we may think that it's like a singular event where we can then kind of destroy mm-hmm. that's there. Um, but I think you've shared before a kind of a spiritual exercise, right? This whole renewing of your mind is this continuation. Mm-hmm. Can you share a little bit more maybe about what that spiritual yeah, exercise I, I, is? I think one of those things that, that is involved here is taking every thought captive. And so when that thought comes in, the way that you'll know it's a thought that you have to take captive to the obedience of Christ is when you know the right and true thoughts about yourself and God. It's kind of like, Dave, you came out of the banking world. 
when when tellers are trained to d- determine counterfeit money, they're not trained on every counterfeit measure. They become so familiar with the genuine thing that when a counterfeit item comes, they instantly recognize it. And the same thing has to be true. We need to become so familiar with the truth of who God is and the truth of who God says we are, that when a thought comes in that contradicts the character of God, that contradicts who God says we are, immediately we go, oh, that's not true. That's not who God says I am. And you take that thought captive and then submit it to obedience, Submit it to who you know God is. Submit it to who you know God says you are. And again, in that, in that resource page, in this connect the dots with your thoughts exercise, we walk you through some of the places where maybe those thoughts have been defeating you. We, we encourage you to dig into the things that are contributing to that defeat. And then with community and prayer, begin to surface those patterns and confront them. And sometimes what it takes is an outside voice who says, you know, that's really not true. And you go, man, you know, I know that's totally not true. But sometimes we're so close to it, we can't see it. Or our emotions are so strong, we can't be logical. And so sometimes it takes some help to break these strongholds from somebody who can help pull you out of the emotion and move you back into a more objective place. Wow, That's powerful. So important, right, to understand and be able to identify that authentic piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and too often, I think you're right, people go after trying to identify what the, the, the negative or the antithesis of things uh-huh. are. Um, so that's a, that's a great tip, great yeah. idea. You know, as we go into the week, right, we're talking about the battlefield and kind of going into these battles that are going on in our mind. Do you have any final words of encouragement um, before we step out? Uh, we step out into it. Yeah. I mean, I, I saw some data recently that said that uh, American churchgoers are twice as likely right now to check their Facebook every day than they are read their Bible. And, um, and, and the number of hours that many of us are watching TV, especially as the election gets closer, is going up. And I will just tell you that if you're spending, and if you have an iPhone, you just got your screen time alert during the service the nine o'clock service today comes in every week right before I preach. And it's right there. How much was I on my phone this week? If the number of hours you're spending on social media and watching the news is five X, 10 X, 15 X, 20 X, 25 X, the amount of time you're spending with the truth of who God is and the truth of who you say you are, how on earth do you think you're going to win that battle? How on earth do you think that God's truth is going to be louder and more preeminent than where your attention is going. And I'm not saying for every hour you spend on social media, you spend an hour in the Bible. That's not always possible or for some people reasonable if your job is online. But I would just encourage you, start tracking the amount of time you're spending rooted in the truth and how much time you're spending online and watching the news. And if you're seeing a defeat in the battle, maybe it's time to flip the scales. And maybe it's time to shift where your time goes. Wow. I mean, that's huge, right? In terms of just bringing conscious awareness, right? Whenever you think about it and that difference between the time and scripture Mm -hmm. um, and rooted in uh, identifying the authentic self Mm -hmm. that uh, that God has for us uh, versus what everybody else is trying to Mm -hmm. convey. So thanks for hosting, Dave. Thanks for hosting, Abby. Great to have you guys part of the team today. Excited to have some fresh faces here. Indeed. Thank you, Scott. Appreciate the time. Awesome. Well, thanks Thanks everybody for watching. We hope to see you next week for week three uh, of this series, and it's going to be an awesome day together. Take care. Thanks, Dave.